Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of If I'm Honest with Julia Landauer. Happy Wednesday, or whatever day you're listening to this episode. Oh my goodness, this last week was a busy and chaotic week. So on Tuesday, the 31st on Halloween, I flew out to Las Vegas because I was hired to give a keynote for the SEMA show. Now, for those of you who don't know, SEMA is an automotive trade show. There's a lot of aftermarket you know, companies, OEMs, there's a lot of racing presence. It takes up the entire multi-hall convention center in Las Vegas. They have a lot of demonstrations and shows in the parking lots. It's just really big. And I had gone so many times as, you know, a young race car driver who was trying to network and meet people and pitch people and schmooze and make my face known and just make FaceTime. So it was kind of a full circle moment to be able to be asked to come back and speak. And I spoke for the SEMA education branch. And so it was the inaugural SEMA Women in Automotive Symposium. So it was a day of women's focused content for for the automotive industry. And I was their opening keynote. So really great audience. There were about 200 people in the room and there were a bunch of women, but there were also a lot of guys. So that was really cool to see the men who explicitly went there to see how they could help women advance in the automotive industry. So really appreciate them and all their presence. It was a wonderful keynote. I ended up staying for the whole day. So I got to listen to the panels and the other speakers and I got to meet Carolyn Jackson of the Barrett Jackson group. And so it was it was just really, really cool. It was fun to be in Vegas. It was really dry and my sinuses did not love that, but that's okay. And then the view from my hotel was actually of the sphere, the new performance hall that's there. And I gotta say, a lot of it was really cool. When they had the plain advertisements, it wasn't so cool, but when they had a little smiley face guy, he brought me a lot of joy. They also had like more artistic 
generative art that looked so real and crisp. It was really incredible. So I thought that was really cool. I had a lot of good sushi and I went to the same restaurant three times in my hotel casino. So that was great. And then I got back late on Thursday. And then on Friday, we went up to some friends who have a mountain house and we just had a really relaxing weekend. It was beautiful weather. We got lots of fireplace action and lots of beautiful sunsets. And so that was just really, really relaxing after, you know, a a busy few days of travel. And then the beginning of this week is good. So yeah, that is, that is a quick rundown of my week. I hope you had a good week and I hope that you're looking forward to this episode. Okay. Ask me anything. Over the last few weeks, I've put out a call on social media for any questions that you might have that you'd like me to address in an Ask Me Anything style podcast episode. And it's really because I want to make sure that I'm tackling things that you want to hear about. I get questions on social media anyway, so I figured let me go in depth, give an unfiltered answer, and you guys did not disappoint. Uh, There are a lot of different types of questions, and I'm going to go through more or less in order of how I received them. If I did have a couple of questions that were related, I tried to put them into one, and we're going to get into it. The first question is, what is your favorite vacation spot, and would you rather go by yourself, with Ben, with your family, or with your friends? And this is a fun question. It's one that I don't think I've ever gotten before, so kudos to you asking those tough questions. And, okay, it depends on the type of vacation. So for a short, like, three- or four-day trip... I want to go somewhere that's going to feel refreshing, and that usually involves being outside quite a bit. So maybe that's the mountains, maybe it's a short beach trip, maybe it's the desert, just somewhere that feels different, refreshing, and allows me to relax. If it's a bigger trip, a week or two weeks, I want to go somewhere that feels really different in every aspect of the area. So the culture needs to feel different, the environment needs to feel different. It's great if the food feels different, the way of life. So some specific examples of some of my favorite spots are many places in Europe, I think, are really incredible to visit. And I love going to Europe. I love seeing new places, going back to old places. Rome completely blew me away when I went there in high school. I obviously love France and go with Ben quite a bit. But then also, you know, Hawaii was so, so different. That's right here in the United States, even though it's very far off the United States. But, you know, the the culture felt different. The pace of life felt super different. The food was different. The environment and the landscape and the, the geography was so different. And the history was different. So I think it takes on a lot of different forms. And I'm excited to keep exploring because I still have more places I want to go. Uh, Like I want to go to Portugal, I want to go to Scotland and Ireland, and I'd like to go to the Nordic countries, and I'd like to go to Asia. I've been to Tokyo once, but I'd love, love to get to China. I'd love to see India. And yeah, there are a lot of a lot of different places I'd like to go. And so would I rather go by myself with Ben, family or friends? I don't love traveling by myself. So I don't want to do that. And I'm very lucky that growing up, starting from when I was about 11 or 12, my parents took me and my siblings to Europe almost once a year. And we went on these big trips and I loved, loved going on trips with them. We haven't done a big family trip in a while, partially because, you know, we're all growing up and have our own lives. I do recognize some of the ways that my family travels and my parents travel that I now like to do differently. And so Ben and I travel very well together and have a similar pace that's a little 
a little more relaxed than how my parents travel, but um, I, I do love traveling with family. And also, so my siblings and I take a sibling trip every year, and we started in 2019, and we'll take three or four days to just spend unfiltered, unregulated time together. We hash out things, we bond, we we dig deep. It's a lot of fun, and we've gone to Charleston, Portland, uh, the Catskills and Rhode Island. And so we are currently in the stages of planning our next trip, but that's a really cool non-negotiable trip that we take every year. And I find it really, really special. So I love traveling with them. I love traveling with Ben. We travel a lot, whether it's domestically, internationally, we go to France every year, at least once, and we travel very well together. We've always done that. And I love traveling with him. And I must admit that I don't feel I've done a great job in traveling with friends throughout my adult life. And partially it's because I've been pursuing racing and a bit on a budget, but I wish I had been better about that. And I've taken some really great trips with some of my friends, like some of my besties from high school and I went to Sedona the other year, and it was just so nice to be able to get out in a very different environment than how we typically know each other. We've also, we traveled to Europe together in college, and my college friends and I have taken trips with the three of us. So we're doing that, but um, I'd like to do more with friends. And I will say here in Charlotte with our friend group here, we do take more regular trips a few times a year. So it's I think I could be better on taking more exotic trips with friends, but I'm also, now that I've mentioned all that, maybe it's been okay. But I could I could improve that area of my travel life. The second question I got is, if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you'd offer a younger Julia? All right, so... It was funny because when I got this question on Instagram, I immediately thought like, oh my goodness, this is totally going to depend on my mood today when I'm recording and what what had just happened. But there's actually one thing that I regularly think back on that I wish I had learned earlier, which is not to take other people's advice so seriously. And I mean that in the sense that, especially being a racer from such a young age, from a family that was not in the racing family, so people tried to give us help and advice, and even if they were well-intentioned, I just realized that not everyone knows what they're talking about, and everyone gives advice from a place of their own personal bias and experiences, and I, I feel like I spent a lot of time and energy trying to do things the quote-unquote right way. And so then I would lean on people's adv- advice to try to steer myself in the right direction. And in in hindsight, I feel like it just detracted from my ability to live authentically and to develop my own sense of self. And it's interesting because Bozema St. John and I talked about this in the podcast episode that I had her on, where you know the more that you lean on other people, the less you're developing your own intuition. The more you make your own decisions, the more you follow your own gut, the stronger your sense of intuition is. And I thought when she said that, that that kind of encapsulated so perfectly what I wish I had learned to do earlier because I feel like I leaned on either parents or mentors or managers or agents for confirmation that what I was doing was the right thing. And I think I could have had more faith in myself and more confidence in myself. So to summarize all that, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself to trust my intuition, to experiment more, to dabble with what I think might be the right way. And unless it's a really high stake things where it needs to be super as close to perfect as possible, try it and see what happens. So 
That would be my advice. The third question I got was, are you more dehydrated on Survivor or after a race? And that is a fantastic question because I would say overall on Survivor being there for 19 days, I kind of adjusted to a constant state of dehydration and feeling underhydrated. That being said, you get used to it. You can have water as you can find it and boil it. So there's always stuff there. We had our canteens full of water, but after a race, you feel so parched and you're so hot and your heart rate's up and it takes a while to cool back down. So it's a little hard to say. I mean, both are very dehydrating and probably not super for your for your health, but that's okay. The next question I got, oh, this makes me sad. So not sad in a in a kind of frivolous kind of way, but did you dress up for Halloween? I didn't see any posts about it. Okay, guys, you know, I take Halloween very seriously. I have always been the kind of girl that makes my own costumes, builds them. For example, when I was a senior in high school, I was a bunch of grapes. And so I got a purple long sleeve, long pants spandex onesie, and I paper clipped a bunch of paper clips all over myself so that I could then tuck in blown up purple balloons and I could be a bunch of grapes and like that level of commitment. It made walking through the hallways and on the escalators at Stuyvesant High School very difficult, but that's okay. I made it. So that was that. And then when I was in my 20s, a lot of the time I was in Martinsville for the NASCAR race over Halloween weekend. So I really wasn't celebrating Halloween very much. And then Ben and I started celebrating two years ago and it was very cool. It was very intensive, lots of engineering and building. And the first year that we dressed up, we were a cork and a corkscrew, and the innuendo is entirely intended. And it was really cool. It was fun. And then last year, we one upped that, and we were an outlet and a plug. And when Ben was the plug and he plugged into me, he lit up. So again, innuendo completely intended. It was so fun. It went viral on my TikTok that I had at the time. And even this year, it's been reshared by Barstool Sports and all these big accounts on Instagram and TikTok. So I'm so thrilled that it was such a success. I wish more of it was accredited to me, but that's okay. So anyway, when we got to this year, between a handful of things going on, a handful of travel, and I also just didn't have the creative inspiration to figure out what I wanted to do that one would be better than last year. And yes, I know I'm a competitive person. I know that my Halloween costume does not need to be better than last year, but my ego said it does. So there we go. And so I just didn't have the creative bandwidth to put it together. And yeah, so we didn't dress up this year, but we already have a pretty intense list going for what we're going to do next year. So I have every intention of bringing it back for Halloween 2024. The next question I got was, how did you balance and pivot from racing to building a career in STEM and speaking? What was the pivot like and how did you manage it? So this is a great question. And let me tell you, it was not cut and dry, black and white, like a clean pivot. I would say that from the time I started or from the time I moved to Charlotte after college and then was really 100% focused on racing, I also knew that I had to make a living and I knew that I had to figure out how I could earn a living while maintaining flexibility. And because I had given a TEDx talk at Stanford and Stanford had asked me to give a TEDx talk my senior year. So because I had given that really polished talk, I knew I had this asset, this credible asset that proved that I was a good speaker. And I knew on a vague level that speakers made money. You know, you get paid to come in and inspire a group. So I decided right after college or a year after college to start pitching people. And I have a podcast episode about this 
It's detailed in the Taylor Swift taught me to know my value episode that I released. But anyway, so so I started pitching, I got this speaking engagement, and I was able to build and keep pitching. And I had photos and I had reference and I built that up while I was also pursuing racing. And I was taking opportunities that weren't racing related as they came. So for example, I had a big corporation approach me about being an external advisor. And so I for a year in 2017, 2018, I was an advisor to a company and worked on that on the side. And I did content collaborations. I did hosting gigs for different freelance work. So I, I tried to say yes to as many opportunities that came my way. And I consider this lucky because I got approached by a lot of these opportunities and I did them. It gave me enough of a repertoire to be able to have these tangible skills that I could take to the future. And as I kind of phase out the active driving part of my career and focus on what's next, it's a lot of soul searching. It's a lot of understanding what's important to me. And, you know, for me personally, it's important to make enough money that I can live the way that I'd like to. It's important to maintain some freedom for my creative endeavors with this podcast, with speaking, with all that stuff. It's important to me to do what I can to feel like I'm building something. So I have these these pillars of what I find important for how I want to spend my time and keep that in mind as I do outreach for whatever the next chapter is. And in terms of what this pivot has been like, you know, it's been a very emotional one. You know, when I decided to stop actively pursuing racing, which I have another episode where I talk about this, this episode is the picking yourself up after disappointment episode earlier in the season. But I had a lot of grief, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of jealousy. And it required me to really work through those emotions and to figure out what it was that was getting in in the way of me feeling better and more optimistic about moving forward. And one thing was definitely ego. And I just acknowledged that my ego was invested. Another thing was feeling disappointed with just, you know, something I'd worked so hard for wasn't coming to fruition, even though I felt like I was capable and kind of just accepting that. And it's interesting because I'm watching a show where one of the characters ends up in rehab. And the counselor says the point of rehab is not to try to improve yourself, it's to try to accept yourself. And I just thought that was interesting in terms of some of the stuff that I went through as well on a non-rehab level, but just, you know, I needed to accept that this is where I was. And once I accepted that I was going to be moving forward, shifting focus and everything, then I tried to get excited. And there were still moments of, you know, seeing things happen in the racing world and feeling a little disappointed that it wasn't me. And I also unplugged. I had to mute plenty of racing accounts. I had to not follow a lot in the news for a little bit just to get some separation, kind of like a breakup, I think. And once that happened, I started getting more excited about other things I wanted to do in my life. And from a pragmatic standpoint, and this is something that I think I'm kind of good at, is that at 31, almost 32, I know that there's other stuff that's going to demand my attention and efforts in the next few years that will probably have taken me away from racing anyway. The biggest thing that comes to mind is start wanting to start a family in the next few years. So realistically, the time is, the time is right to move forward. So it's been a, a big process. 
Alrighty guys, we're gonna take a quick break, but then when we come back, I will continue answering your questions in this AMA style episode format. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. We're back on If I'm Honest with Julia Landauer for this AMA-style podcast episode. The next question that I want to tackle is, what's your biggest regret? And would you change it if you could, or was what you hopefully learned from it worth it? So I'm very happy to say that I don't have one big thing that I wish I had done differently. You know, I talked about earlier in this episode about wishing I hadn't take people's advice so seriously. I think that's continues to be a big thing. And I do wish that I had not done that that way for so long. But for the other stuff, you know, there's little stuff like there are some races that are still crystal clear in my mind from when I was like 12 years old, where I wish I hadn't messed up. Like there was the first go-kart race that it looked like I could win which was actually when I was 11 years old. But the first go-kart race that it looked like I could win, I started thinking about winning and I started getting excited about being able to celebrate and make my parents proud and being able to prove that I was a winner. And then I got distracted and I spun myself off the track. So definitely wish I didn't do stuff like that. But I I feel like I always try to dig deep and learn from most of the things that I wish I had done differently. And so I feel confident about that. 
I also really firmly believe that if anything had gone differently in my life, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm really overall quite, quite happy with my life right now. I'm ecstatic to have found a life partner in Ben. I'm really happy of my relationships with my siblings. I'm so happy with my friends. I'm happy with what I have tackled and accomplished. Do I wish that I was continuing to be a professional level race car driver and a world famous motorsports athlete? Sure. But if I had done that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have met Ben, you know, so there's these, these trades offs that, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with my life right now and happy enough that I really wouldn't want to lose what I do have now. So yeah, I, 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 I believe in regret. I think that you learn from things that you wish you had done differently or that made you uncomfortable, but I don't think I would change much of the big stuff. The next question, how did you come to drive in the NASCAR Pinty series and team up with DJ Kennington, a pretty little Southern belle like yourself up here in Canada? Well, I am not a pretty little Southern belle. As the New Yorker that I am, I find it very important to distinguish that I am a New Yorker who is living in the South at this juncture. Nothing against the South, but I'm a New Yorker. That's that. But I got to race in the Pinty series that's a great question, actually. Someone in NASCAR at some point must have suggested it, and I looked into it more, and I got a connection, but um, I actually really don't remember the specifics, and I've seen this question, I've thought about it, I don't quite remember, but it was it was through connections in the, in the industry and figuring out how to make it work up there, and I've always enjoyed going to Canada. My go-kart coach and mechanic, Glenn Butler, is from there, so I've raced a lot there. All right, next question, sort of. It's more of a comment. You were criminally under-edited, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on your edit on Survivor and if there were things left out that you feel should have been included. So one, thank you. I too think I was criminally under-edited and I think that's a great way to phrase it. Look, so with Survivor, you know, and with any reality TV, producers need to work with stuff and if there are people who present better material to work with, they're probably gonna have a better edit. I I go back to, again, wow, this is a theme for this episode, but having taken so many people's advice about how to properly be a race car driver in a way that was very inauthentic to who I was, I think that I probably had too polished of an exterior based on just my experience of being a kid in this very adult world of racing. So I think that's that's partially it. I think that if the season had gone a different way and the storylines were different, then more of what I did would have been emphasized and, and shown more. But yeah, it. Um, I think it's a mix of things. I definitely don't think that I have the capacity to be, to be the really outrageous, really full of zinger kind of uh, contestant. So was it fair? No. Do I see how they edited it the way they did? Yes. And it was a good lesson in being authentic. So again, there was a good takeaway with that. Oh, actually, you know what? Now that I read this question, I'm going to go back to the other question about things that I regret. Yes, on Survivor, I regret not telling anyone that I went to Stanford because I didn't want people to see me as a privileged little kid. So I didn't tell people I went to Stanford. I wish that I had just owned it. I wish that I had just been able to be transparent about that. So I wasn't on guard trying to protect the story and the the kind of not, not lie, but the 
concealed version of who I was to the people. I wish that I had just owned who I was and then I would have been more conversational. I would have been more authentic and I think that would have been better. Wow, I should have reread these these questions before I went through this. But anyway, yes, multiple questions answered with that one. Next question. If you were ever to come back on Survivor, would you want to be on another split fans versus favorites season or a season with all returning players? And has anyone approached you for different shows? Okay, so as I've said on this podcast, I have definitely applied to be on Survivor again and have not had any success with that. But then when I watch Survivor, I also think that I don't necessarily know that I have what it takes to really be the most effective player on Survivor. I could be wrong. I could be selling myself short, but it would be tough. Um, And I would 100% only want to be on a returning player's game because I really did not like the fans versus favorites format. I felt it was incredibly unfair to the fans. I think it then just makes for a less competitive and less fun experience. And since I feel that way as a fan, I need to be consistent and feel that way as a returning player. And I think there's a level of gameplay that you bring when you already know what it's like. So there's that. And no, no one has approached me about being on different shows. I think my uh, reputation of being vanilla is preceding me when it comes to reality TV. All right. Next question that we have. Do I have any plans for future races in NASCAR or any other series? Slash, are you going to be able to make any more starts in the Xfinity series in the future? And have you ever considered possibly running ARCA if the opportunity is there? So where I'm at right now with racing is that I'm not actively trying to get sponsorship to go racing, but I am open to opportunities as they come. And so I've had Euro NASCAR teams approach me about potentially running a few races here and there. I've had an Xfinity team come to me about potentially racing with them. And so it's all stuff I'm open to. I'd love to get back in a race car. I just, I can't, I don't want to keep focusing on trying to spend all the time to get sponsorship to do it. And so when it comes to running ARCA or other stuff, I'm totally open. I I ran KN West, which is now ARCA West. I never did the full ARCA series, but the cars are pretty similar to the KN, what what the KN specs were. So yeah, I'd be totally open to it. I think racing is so much fun regardless of what level you're at. I would wanna be in some, you know, decently competitive equipment, but I'm not that picky, you know, Uh, racing is racing. And so if the opportunity arose, I would happily take it. The next question we got is, do I watch the NFL and do I have any favorites? I've never been a big football watcher, partially because it's, it's so violent. And I really don't enjoy seeing people get sacked like that. And my, you know, we actually have a friend who played in the NFL for a little bit. And it's just, it's brutal to watch that. So I I just never got into it. So no, I don't have favorites. I have a few friends that have been on different teams, and I like them, but not a big sports girl in non racing or soccer. I got to take that back. I'm getting to be more of a sports girl because Ben and I are watching sports more. And so I love action sports. I love tennis. I love I'm getting into soccer. I can't say I love it yet, but I'm getting into soccer, especially European soccer that I'm watching with Ben. So yeah, so that's that. Next question. Can you compare and contrast your mentality behind the wheel versus in the game of Survivor? Yeah. So with racing, you know, the mentality is to do everything you can to win, to adapt to your 
to your surroundings and how the car is handling and to manage your team and to communicate well. And all of those elements are important in Survivor. But with Survivor, there's an element of deception and there's an element of needing to trust people, but also never trusting people so much that you let your guard down. And I think that element is really distinctive from racing. And it's not something that I felt in racing. Like, obviously, you can't, you can't, you know, let your guard down when you're, you know, trying to get deals or trying to, you know, sort stuff out on the business side. But when it comes to actually racing, and, you know, to be the best in racing, I don't feel like you need that deception as much. I don't think it's as crucial to be able to be successful you can have good guys who are going and winning whereas in survivor i don't think a purely good good guy or good gal could make it and people are free to prove me wrong on that but it's just you gotta be a little conniving the next question is how have you achieved work-life balance with your relationship and all of these things um well my work-life balance is a little easier I think because I have always worked from home and it's always been towards bettering my racing career and it means that I have a lot of flexibility so I can work super super hard and then still be super flexible when Ben comes home in the evenings or you know even before Ben not that my life existed before Ben, but hypothetically before Ben, you know, I could I could work really hard during the normal working hours and still have time in the evenings and could go out or travel or visit family. So that was really nice. But also with everything that Ben and I work on together, we know that we are prioritizing our relationship and we prioritize putting each other first in quality time, and we do spend a lot of time together. And we also really know that we're building together. And Ben has always been super helpful and insightful with ideas and suggestions and feedback with stuff that I'm doing with racing. And I think that he he has strengths in his thought, thought process that I don't have as much. And so all the stuff that I do, he's also helping with. So he's involved. And we definitely we definitely take time to to do what's important for us as a couple whether it's cooking together or talking or vegging on the couch or any of that but then when stuff has to get done we do it and i prioritize also exercise and good sleep and so it's easy i easier i think to have work life balance when i also don't have any dependents i don't have a 9 to 5 job as of yet and I can travel and be flexible and he also has some flexibility with his work. So yeah, it, um, it's a pretty nice situation. It's going to change soon, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. All right. I've got two more questions for you. The next one is some people don't consider race car drivers athletes. Can you talk about the physical stresses of driving several hundred miles at high speed? Yeah. So this is a very big misconception and, and it makes sense because if you think about it, you know, most people don't know what it's like to drive besides how we drive on the road. And that's sitting in a car very comfortably, somewhat leisurely, might get a little stressful at times, but but that's it. And racing is so different. So you need to imagine that you're 
strapped tightly into a seat belt where, you know, you're kind of scrunched a little bit. It's a six point or seven point seat belt. And then you're muscling around 3,400 pounds of machine. You're dealing with the G forces of going through the turns at high speeds, but then you also have to deal with G forces when you crash and you're having to deal with heat. It can be 150 degrees in the car because, you know, the motor's right up front and you're also having to be so incredibly mentally focused for hours on end thinking about hitting, you know, perfect entry point turn in, getting down to the apex, perfect turnout, getting back on the gas. There are so many things that you're having to do and react to in any given lap. And then on top of that, you're having to strategize and maneuver around other vehicles. So it's a really, really tough mental task. And then on top of that, it's an endurance sport. You're doing it for hours on end. Some races like NASCAR cup races are three to four hours. Formula One is an hour and a half. So those are the big things that you have to juggle. You also have to have really good peripheral vision. You have to have really good just visual input and reactions to that because things are happening so quickly. So it's extremely physically challenging. It's very depleting. We get really dehydrated. And that's that's a glimpse into the physical stressors. The last question in our AMA for this episode is... How do you prepare for a speaking engagement? Both the setup of what the topic of conversation is and right before going on stage, reducing the butterflies. I really like this question. Thank you. So with a speaking engagement, these are things that bring a lot of adrenaline. I find them very exciting. I find them pressure filled because I want to make sure that I am delivering content that's worthwhile of people's time and speaking for 45 minutes on end in an engaging way is challenging. So for preparation, I do want to preface this by saying that on my Instagram, I post video recaps of a lot of my speaking gigs. So you can see the traveling to there, the setup I do, anything on site, um, tech check, you know, behind the scenes, you can see all that from what I do. But in general, What we do is that once a client decides that they want to hire me for a keynote, we'll have a pre-event call where they tell me a little more about the event, they tell me about the audience, and I go through what I think will be a good and engaging keynote. So we'll go through the themes, it'll be based on how long the, the keynote is and any specific areas that they want me to focus on. And then I will put together the talk and I have about 12 or 13 themes that I talk about and I pick and choose from that. And so I've told a lot of these stories before and so I'm pretty familiar with them. But then once I've put the keynote together, I practice it the full 45 minutes through. And I know in my gut when the keynote is ready. I know that when my delivery is good, I know when my transitions are there. Sometimes I'll have a new idea for a different way to deliver a theme. And so I'll have to practice that. But I practice as many times as I need to make sure that I feel completely confident and comfortable giving the keynote. So There are some talks where I'll do one run through and I feel like, okay, this is really good, ready to go. And these are usually like a week or two beforehand. And then once I've done the one run through, I send it off to the client. If not, I have to do it again. And let me tell you, it is... It is a physical and mental undertaking to go through the 45-minute keynote because it is tiring. It is tiring to talk that long. And I stand up so I can get used to what it'll feel like on stage. So sometimes I'll do three, four, even five run-throughs before I'm really happy with it. So I go through that and then I get on site. And basically the day of, I start getting ready. I do my hair and makeup. I show up. We usually have a tech check. So I'll go through the slides. I'll make sure everything's good. I get to see the stage. I get to see the clicker. I get to see what the confidence monitor looks like because a lot of times we'll see 
the slides coming up, a timer, all of that. And then we get mic'd up and usually they do an intro and then I get on stage and oh my goodness, it's so wonderful to get on stage and to get the audience energized and revved up and I definitely do get butterflies and sometimes I'll get a little nervous. It kind of depends on the vibe of the room and maybe what I'm going through or sometimes an audience will seem a little less warm just from a distance and maybe that will make me feel a little more nervous. So it really is scenario dependent, but I incorporate deep, deep breathing. The a few hours before the keynote, I tend to do a run through in my head just to make sure I'm confident with any transitions that needed work or anything. And then I get on stage, but it's kind of like when the visor goes down in the race car, I'm ready to go and everything else kind of goes out the window. And it's kind of the same with speaking. Once I get on stage, I feel like I'm in the zone and I'm able to deliver the keynote. And I will say that I think people either really love getting on stage and they love the energy of it, or they really don't. And I'm one of the people that really loves it. I've loved it for a very long time. So it's something that I actively look forward to and it doesn't scare me. And I'm really proud of all the people who do get on stage, even though it's really scary and they work through it. So it's really, it's really cool. But that was a great question. Thank you. Team, thank you so much for these questions. I hope that my answers were satisfactory and gave you the information that you were hoping for. And if you enjoyed this, let me know by leaving a review what you liked about it. That would be super helpful. And we are actually on the second to last episode of this season. Isn't that crazy? Next week's episode is going to be season one's finale. So we are we are wrapping up. And don't worry, there will be a season two. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for letting me be honest with you. Thank you for the questions that allowed me to be honest with you. If you like this episode, I do hope that you'll review it, rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend. If I didn't answer your question, can you please leave a review and let me know what I didn't answer so that I can come back and do it in another Ask Me Anything episode. And I'll see you next week. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK systems that's through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.